Well, hello, saints. Hello, sinners. It is good to see you today. As we come today, we're going to pick right back up where we left off last week in Matthew's uh, chapter 16. Uh, Peter and the other disciples were all the way up in Caesarea Philippi, and they were asking Jesus, uh, well, Jesus was asking them, who do people say that I am? And And Peter spoke up for the rest of the disciples and correctly said, uh, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Um, And because of that proclamation, that became the rock, the foundation of the church. The rock of the church is Peter, yes, but it's also the proclamation that Jesus is Messiah, the presence, the son of the living God. Well, today we are picking up in that same story Uh, In today's reading, uh, it will be a dramatic shift for the Gospel of Matthew. This is a a pivotal chapter in uh, Matthew's Gospel, whereas the first half of Matthew's Gospel pointed to Jesus' identity as Messiah. Today's text points to the second half of the Gospel's focus, which is what it means for Jesus to live into his identity as Messiah. Turn in your Bible, Matthew 16, and we're going to begin with verses 21 to 28. Listen to the word of the Lord. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay everyone for what he or she has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. I look forward to the time I can go flying again, go see my daughters up in Boston or Seattle. And I know that once I start flying again, one of the most coveted seats I'm going to try to get on a commercial airline is that coveted seat in the emergency aisle right there in coach, the leg room. You can spread a barca lounger out in there. No one has to climb over you. They can walk around you. All that space. But before the plane takes off, the steward or stewardess comes up and they remind you, do you understand where you're sitting? 
Oh, yes, I do. I'll look at my room. But they point to the door, the exit door. And they pull out a card and they hand it to the people sitting on that exit row. And we are told to read the card, look at the door, follow the instructions, and then say back to the steward or stewardess, yes, I've read the warning label and I know how to handle the door. Because what they don't want to have happen is for us to open that door, that is, an entire hole in the side of the plane at the wrong time. There's a warning label. A warning label for our protection. The other passenger's protection on what we're doing. Beloved, this morning our text in Matthew is a disciple's warning label. It's when Jesus gives us the card and says, read this card and make sure you know what you're signing up for. It's not to scare us, but indeed it is there as a stark reminder that it's one thing to profess Jesus, as Peter just did, as Messiah, the Son of the living God, and it's entirely something else to fall in behind him to put on Jesus' identity as our own and take up a cross. Dear Peter, He was so up here when he made that declaration of who Jesus was. But now he's way down here. Matthew inserts one loaded sentence today that highlights the story's change in focus. One biblical scholar paraphrases uh, this verse this way. He says, From then on, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that it was absolutely necessary for him to go away to Jerusalem to suffer deeply at the hands of lay people, senior pastors, Bible teachers, and be executed and raised on the third day. And it's right at this point, my friends, we encounter the first warning label of our text. Peter, all well-meaning intentions, hear Jesus speak about being betrayed and handed over and being killed, and he, he, he exclaims, God forbid it. No. We're not going to let this happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus immediately whips around, and he looks at Peter, and he tells him and the disciples, Get behind me, Satan. Now, it's a striking similar phrase. We've heard it before. You see, Jesus has already used it in Matthew's gospel when he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. (laughs) Back in 410. See, the point is clear. The rock of the church has just become a stumbling block to the church. He was putting his well-meaning but totally worldly agenda in front of God's plans. Peter the rock has become a barrier. And frankly, Jesus will have nothing to do with that. The first warning label in discipleship, my friends, is that God's plans take precedent over ours. God's plans take precedent over ours. When you and I are like Peter and start pushing our personal agendas on how we think Jesus should act, behave, judge, or forgive, we become a stumbling block to the gospel. 
We go against the plans of God. And like Satan, we thwart the kingdom's purposes and advancement. The first warning label, brothers and sisters, is that we are to make sure that we stay behind God, behind Jesus, and not out in front of them. It's a question of who's driving the bus. Who's driving our spiritual bus? Are you and I driving that spiritual bus where we want it to go? Or is Jesus leading us, driving that bus to places of sacrificial service for both us as individuals and all of us as a church? You see, our temptation is to get so excited with being with Jesus. We can become so excited or so self-righteous that we get out in front of Jesus. We get out in front of God instead of falling in behind him as a Christ follower. I love what Dale Bruner of Whitworth University says in that Peter's rebuke by Jesus, Jesus is reminding us that our discipleship must constantly be renegotiated and daily reviewed and evaluated. I like that. Our discipleship must be constantly renegotiated and daily reviewed and evaluated. And this leads us to the second warning label of discipleship in our story. The second warning label, frankly, is very blunt. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, we not only have to fall in line behind him, but we also must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Wow. Deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow him. Now, what did German pastor and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, say? Bonhoeffer said, quote, Only a person thus committed to discipleship can experience the meaning of the cross. The cross is laid upon every Christian. The first Christ-suffering every Christian must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of the world. And when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. Close quote. Mm. Today's Christian often think Christ's followership is more about inconvenience than it is sacrifice. Dying is not an inconvenience, brothers and sisters. I hate to tell us. Taking up one's cross is counterintuitive to our westernized, glory-filled understanding of Christian faith. As Catholic theologian, psychologist, and spiritual mentor Richard Rohr reminds us, it is only by falling down can we make our way up. In other words, in order to rise up to new life in Christ, we have to put down our old life in death. It's only through Christ that Jesus can reach Easter. It is only through the cross that Jesus can reach Easter. And friends, it's no different for you and for me. Peter, Peter had to put to death his theological and spiritual convictions about who and what the Christ of God was all about. 
Peter had to put to death his understanding that God loves just a very limited number of people. Peter had to put to death his understanding of a conquering Messiah coming in on a valiant white horse, rallying the nation and overthrowing the oppressive government. Friends, when he was able to pick up the cross of discipleship, Peter was able to put down his own agendas, his only world, all of his own worldly-driven ideals. It's only when those old agendas, only when those ideals are dead and buried can the good news ideals of faith in Jesus Christ and love of neighbor, and only then can they rise above and impact the world. Friends, now there are two aspects of cross-bearing that we need to be aware of in our life. First, there is passive cross-bearing. This is dealing with the everyday circumstances of life as a disciple in the world. There are the run-of-the-mill choices that you and I have to make throughout the day and are confronted with as what it means to live as a quote-unquote good Christian. But second, there is what is called active cross-bearing. Not passive cross-bearing, active cross-bearing. Active cross-bearing means we deliberately try to be and live as a certain type of disciple in the world making a difference. Passive Christ-bearing is responding to what life throws our way. Active cross-bearing is intentionally chosen and picked up by each and every one of us. We pick up our cross actively and intentionally to make waves for the gospel news. So with this in mind, let me ask all of us, are you following Jesus? Or is he following you? Warning label number one. Are you living a passive, cross-bearing life, or are we living an active, cross-bearing life? Warning label number two. Friends, we must put down and bury before we can pick up an intentional cross. What can we put down and bury in our lives? What attitudes, friends, of ours reflect more the ways of the world than the ways of God? What stereotypes, what prejudices? What theological or doctrinal high crosses and high horses do you and I have to dismount and do away with in order to have a spirit of love and life swoop in and carry us away? What ways of living and relating are barriers for Christ-like growth in our lives and in the life of this church? I want to close with this poem by Neil Donald Welch entitled, Something Old, Something New. Listen to his words. They're very appropriate for today in our discipleship and in the life of the church. Yearning for a new way will not produce it. 
Only ending the old way can do that. You cannot hold on to the old all the while declaring you want something new. The old will defy the new. The old will deny the new. The old will decry the new. There is only one way to bring in the new. You must make room for it. This week, my friends, the Holy Spirit show you and me, this church, how to make room. And all of God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Spirit of God, these are hard words to hear from Jesus. But Lord, you do call us to deny ourselves, to forsake the love of this world and to follow you wholeheartedly, unconditionally, intentionally. Holy Spirit of God, enable us to not only pick up the little passive crosses that follow, fall in our way during the day, but Lord, reveal to each of us in the places of our spirit those intentional, heavy burdens that you are calling us to carry. Not to make you feel good, O oh God, but in order to bring in the kingdom of grace and gospel for someone else. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, the good news of Jesus Christ is this, is that he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks and he wants to come in and have supper with you and you with him. If you would like to profess Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, if you want to talk about what does that mean to be a follower of Christ, be a part of a church, then please call me. I would love to visit with you. Nick Merchant, Pamela Maston, we would all love to visit with you. So just give us a call. My friends, as you go this day, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and smile sweetly and brightly and give you peace. Go in that peace. So be it. And as we go today, let us take the light of Christ that we have lit earlier. And as we look at it and blow it out, let us remind ourselves we take this light now as our identity as Christ followers, and we take it out into the world. Go in peace.